Hello, and welcome to the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association podcast. I'm Amelia, and I'm not as good at puns as NATO, so please bear with me. On tonight's episode, we're going to try and keep from poking our own eyes out as we plunge headfirst into Ryan Murphy's Running With Scissors. Joining me tonight, we have two distinguished divination experts. First up, he's the king of late-night TV infomercials. Make sure to call him for your free reading now. It's NATO. Hello! For your deviation, all you need is 50% champagne and 50% orange juice. <laughs> uh, that's my kind of divination. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely predict that your future will be fucked up if that's what you're rolling with. Oh, um, sacred mimosa, show me the way. <laughs> <laughs> One mimosa, two mimosa, three mimosa, wee! <laughs> Next up, also last but not least, uh, make sure you don't look too deep into their eyes because they could reveal your death. It's Ro! Hi, everybody. My divination method is the pendulum. If it goes left, that means yes. If it goes right, that means no. And if it wiggles a little bit and kind of shrugs, it means, what the fuck do I know? I'm a piece of stone on a string. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you're not double dipping questions, I think that's all fine, right? Well, you know, it does seem to have a lot of insight, though, so (laughs) that's why I keep it around. (laughs) Pendulums and penis both start with the same way. Oh, they sure do. (laughs) Except a penis tells you the future by going up or down. Ah. Uh, (laughs) All right. I'm sorry for that, everyone. I'm so sorry, truly. You're right, I'm not. All right, and I'm Amelia, and we're about to talk about the plot of this Ryan Murphy classic. So if you haven't seen this movie and care about spoiler, now's the time to sign over custody of us to your doctor and his family. Huh? Oh, God. Huh? <laughs> Too soon? Oh, man. I don't... <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> Before we get started, though, we do feel the need to give you a trigger warning or five. This episode contains discussion of prescription pill abuse, domestic violence, depictions of suicide attempts, grooming, and depictions of romantic relationships between adults and children, along with discussion of the N-word. All right. Now on to the episode. It's a family film. (laughs) Yes, there are families of some sort, arguably, in this film. (laughs) Uh, All right, so Running With Scissors follows young Augustine. Augustine has existed in a highly dysfunctional family environment his whole life. His father, Norman, played by Alec Baldwin, is a detached alcoholic. His mother, Deirdre, on the other hand, is an emotionally unstable, aspiring poet who frequently makes Augustine skip school to provide feedback on her poetry. This has left Augustine with certain OCD tendencies, such as boiling and shining his allowance of metal polish. Um, after his parents' divorce at the age of 14, Augustine is handed over to Deirdre's psychiatrist and his family, the Finches. Their house is hoarded and dirty, which is far less than desirable to young Augustine. To say that Finches are eccentric would be an understatement. Dr. Finch, the Patriot. Oh, sorry, go. Vast understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Would be the understatement of the century. (laughs) Yes, they do all sorts of things that are fun, like Bible dipping and uh, using literal poop to tell the future. So 
you know. Holy and shit. Also, <laughs> also <laughs> Dr. Finch, Dr. Finch literally has a masturbatorium in his office. Yes. That his which, daughter likes to hang out in. It's NBD. I would say it's creepy, but you know, I just love the word masturbatorium so much. It I, implies so many different things, and I, I just it it's such a wonderful <laughs> word. I will personally solely refer to my bedroom as the masturbatorium. Going <laughs> uh, anyways, Doctor Finch, the patriarch his words, not mine, is obsessed with poop and has a room he refers to as the masturbatorium, as we just said. Um, his wife, Agnes, watches vampire movies endlessly. Actually, it's not a vampire movie. It's uh, an actual TV show, isn't it? Yeah, it, so Dark Shadows was like a parody soap opera. Um, oh, okay. So so she was just watching her soaps. Basi- okay, so his wife, yeah. Agnes, watches Dark Shadows, a satirical soap opera, endlessly while she snacks on dog kibble. Uh, his eldest daughter, Hope, is highly religious and Dr. Finch's favorite daughter. Again, his words, not mine. Natalie he literally in the movie says the words, Hope, you are my favorite daughter. <laughs> like, in front of everybody else in the family. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's the advice given by most child psychiatrists, actually, uh, to parents, to new parents to make sure that you explicitly state over and over which of your children is your favorite. It, it really, you know, uh, forces the non-favorite child to strive and better themselves. Yeah, or, you know, it could develop anxiety. <laughs> One of those. Nobody, nobody in this major, movie has Major, major anxiety. anxiety and depression. Nobody in this movie has any of those things, okay? Anxiety Not with these major? pills. <laughs> My goodness. With the amount of prescription pills in this movie, you'd think that Ryan Murphy had a pharmaceutical license. Does he? <laughs> Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> I I get the sense that Ryan Murphy probably does know his pills, though. Oh yeah, no comment. <laughs> Especially when Doctor Finch is just handing out pills to his patients and saying, "Oh, you know, it's an anxiety medication." <laughs> It should help take the edge off. Just take uh, it. But it hasn't been tested. <laughs> you don't need to know what it's called or how, it's how many milligrams it is or, you know, anything specific like that that a doctor would usually say. It's just, here, have a pill. <laughs> <laughs> have five. Who cares? <laughs> the world is your oyster. Back to the summary, though. The high levels of dysfunction in this family leads Natalie, the youngest, to be rebellious. And she seems a little more aware of just how dysfunctional the situation is overall. Augustin and Natalie form a close friendship, and eventually he comes out to her as gay. She sets him up on a date with Dr. Finch's patient informant. She sets him up on a date with Dr. Finch's patient and former tenant, Neil, a man in his 30s who is 20 years Augustin's senior. After they have sex, if you can call it that, Augustine has Neil drop him off at his mother's house where he discovers her in bed with Fern, a woman from her poetry circle. A lot more dysfunction happens. His mother is in and out of his life and on various medications. Eventually, Finch introduces his mother to Dorothy, 
who is a teen in the book, leading to her mixing up their medicines and experiencing a psychotic break that lands her in the hospital for a week. Augustine becomes estranged from her, meeting with her one last time to tell her of his imminent departure to NYC, affording her one last chance to, gut light, to gaslight him and cut him down. So let's get right to it. What were our thoughts on this film? Um, first off, TLDR, everybody took pills. Uh, some people took a lot of pills. Um, and that's the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There's a lot of plot and things that happen in this movie. Okay? Yeah, there's actually... Um, okay, so the first thing I want to say about this movie is, you know, we're pretty known however widely we are known as a podcast that tackles queer cinema and this doesn't really feel like queer cinema it seems like a story that's happening to a gay person Mm -hmm. instead of a story about a person actively being gay which a lot of queer cinema is for some reason this is one of those movies it's like stonewall you know, where they're trying to appeal. The way that I, I can put it is that at the point when I first saw the, and liked this movie, I was a Barnes and Noble gay, uh, which is like you buy the movies at Barnes and Noble that has a queer element to it. But like if your parents come in while you're watching it, uh, it's not that gay, you know. Yeah, you could always say, it's not a gay movie, it's a psychology movie. It's like a home at the end of the world, or the dreamers, you know? Where, like, there's clearly gay shit in there, but at the same time... It's all, like, really undercover. Yeah. The the gayness, both from the characters and, like, the gay sub-themes are all, like, really hidden. You have to, like, really be looking for them to find them. And they are there, but, you know, they're not, like, at the forefront. Like, a lot of gay movies tend to put them. <laughs> I I think the more... I, my, my opinions on this movie have evolved a lot. Uh, mostly for the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, like, when I first saw this movie, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I saw a Wes Anderson movie, and I loved it a lot less. Um, specifically the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and I was just like, I was like, wait a second. R- running with scissors is like the Royal Tenenbaums, except not as good. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got some of the same things. It's got like a quirky, interesting family that uh, used to be prestigious, but now are a shell of their former greatness. Like characters who talk unnaturally, but stylistically. Uh, it's got like kind of, energetic cinematography at points uh and also like this feeling that you're in a world that's slightly adjacent from reality but still feels like it could exist um all of which like i would describe as for both this movie and the real attendant bombs this really did feel like he was inspired or influenced by wes anderson and in certain ways um definitely stylistically i honestly wasn't super familiar with ryan murphy before american horror story (laughs) so i don't i haven't seen like any of his earlier movies or anything like that but you didn't see glee 
Oh, Glee's Ryan Murphy? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. I only saw like the first season of Glee, to be fair. But I You're definitely lucky. feel like... Oh, did it what get What about bad? American Horror Story? Well, that's what I'm saying. That was kind of my first exposure to Ryan Murphy, except I guess Glee was actually it. But I, I feel like there's definitely like hints of what Ryan Murphy would become in this. But like it's it's not quite there yet as far as being like his unique style. You know, um, like when I saw Ratchet on Netflix the first time, I didn't know it was Ryan Murphy. And I like upon seeing it, I was like, oh, this is Ryan Murphy, isn't it? I didn't I didn't get that with this movie <laughs> necessarily. I think um, this is also his first film, isn't it? Is it? Okay, that makes sense. Um, given the subject matter, it, it was a very interesting style to go along with it because yes it's quirky and stuff like that but like the quirks in this movie a lot of like the family quirks and stuff like that in this movie come from like some very deep-seated and manipulative like like level dysfunction you know um there's a lot of trauma bonding in this movie uh as a result of all this dysfunction too um you have you know dr finch who is really like manipulating a lot of his patients and stealing their money uh at one point you know it kind of comes to light that the God, i cannot remember alec baldwin's character's name in this uh, but norman. That he had norman yeah that norman had you know been sending all his custody checks to dr finch we and, and at i think at not too long before that um augustine you know had mentioned how he had no money like there was no money for him so and also he does the same thing to his daughter you know where he's okay with this like much older man sleeping with his 13 year old daughter until he finds an opportunity to kind of extort him for money under the guise of oh it's gonna be for quote-unquote college trust fund but then spends it all on like the house you know um and like the his Augustine's parents are also very dysfunctional. You know, you have the mother that is kind of very selfish and parentifies Augustine a lot. Um, it kind of forces him to like miss school. And then when he is older and missing school, suddenly it becomes like his fault, you know, even though right. that's kind of what she did to him. Uh, she's pretty mean to the dad, which in the film, you know, leads to the dad being very like emotionally distant and emotionally neglectful towards Augustine, which is its own form of like, you know, abuse. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of dysfunction in here. And I feel like in some ways, Ryan Murphy going for like this quirky angle on the movie kind of does a disservice to like that kind of a story because that dysfunction, like when it's affecting real people, isn't just quirks. Like it, it, it fucks them up, you know? Put a pin on that for for later. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh Lord! <laughs> Scared of that laugh. There's the way I can really describe for me like the um, the feeling of this film, and I I, I hate that this is. The, what I came up with. There's this joke in Family Guy uh, about Dharma and Greg, the show I've never seen, where I guess Dharma's up on a table. Oh, 
my god, and, I forgot about that show. And like Greg, I guess, is like, get down off the table. And she's like, no, get up on the table. Why don't you get up on the table? And like, that's the joke is it's like this bohemian sort of ideology. And it feels like there's these films. Uh, I brought up like uh, A Home at the End of the World earlier, where mm-hmm. it's just like there's this like for lack of a better term, like this bubble where just like uh, the outside world doesn't exist and there's no consequences. And that, mm-hmm. that's what this film feels like for the most part. There are, yeah. unlike a home at the end of the world, there are actual consequences that happen outside of this bubble that our characters experience specifically with <coughs> Augustine and his mother. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it feels like it's just like this, this wondrous world, like, where like you know anything can exist uh there are no boundaries they are encouraged to follow their hearts and find themselves kind of thing and like they uh one of the lines was like they become adults they they become seen as adults when they're 13 um which debatable um but like extremely debatable (laughs) i mean especially yeah (laughs) <laughs> we'll talk more about that next week <laughs> but like um it, it really feels like there's this sort of like uh this disconnect in a way between the world that we're seeing and reality mm-hmm. where if, one of my biggest criticisms is that none of the characters really grow in this. Like, they're all kind of the same throughout. Um, and it's kind of a consequence of sort of the world that they're living in that that can't happen, whereas in other films it does. Right. I think there's an argument to be made that um a lot of the characters are very kind of wrapped up in what's going on in their world specifically mm-hmm. and when you're so wrapped up in yourself like that it's hard to see outside of yourself and I... a lot of growth happens outside of you like comes from impetus that's outside of you so i, was... I don't th- like a lot of these characters i don't think had a very like we're given a lot of chances to grow. Yeah, I will say having <laughs> this movie kind of triggered me because I grew up in a pretty similar environment just all around as far as like the Augustine. Um, I feel like sometimes in those situations, it is kind of difficult to grow because when you're like stuck um, in like this kind of like codependent, uh, and meshed like a bubble of abuse, I feel like it it stunts you a bit, right? Like I didn't fully start growing until I left home um, for similar reasons. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on there is because this is based on a memoir, right? So I think to a certain extent, we'll put a pin probably, in the word memoir for now. Uh, well, right. Yes. Yes. I think we do need to circle back around to that and uh, address certain things, but you know, I, I will say that part of it does come off as real to me. Um, which I think is kind of like one of the 
the more difficult things that, you know, happens to people when they come out of situations like that is that it is difficult to grow. And some people don't find it possible to grow much at all, like past, you know, past their trauma and stuff like that. Um, and I think that there were also just like a lot of things happening that from the adults that kind of made it impossible to grow, you know, any, any reasonable adult, if your kids break the ceiling and like make this big hole, aren't going to come in and be like, huh, we need a more light in here. Uh, caveat to say in Boulder, actually, parents probably would do that in my experience, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) how Boulder of them. Yeah. (laughs) But that's my thoughts on the, on the growth of the characters. Although, so like for me personally, I would have liked to see that addressed and maybe instead of just keeping it to like the young, you know, the young part of his life. Like, maybe have an epilogue part where you, like, at least address, like, you know, okay, then he went to New York and actually grew as a person. Or he wrote, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a memoir-type deal where he uh, might have embellished some things. <laughs> in, a, in a way, the character of Augustine kind of devolved, in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because when, when he was, like, a little kid, he was making, like, large observations like this is new yorker worthy and stuff like that but we never really got any of that kind of language when he was like 13 or 15 Uh, or um and it kind of felt like a missed opportunity because it kind of dumbed him down a little bit i agree yeah and i feel like you know Yeah, like, as a kid, he has, like, all these dreams, right? He wants to be a hairdresser. You know, he wants to do stuff, and then he just... The movie kind of abandoned it. Yeah, it kind of gets dumbed down. You know know what was kind of impressive about this movie was its soundtrack. It very much was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. I actually, like, one of the things that i really liked about this movie was the soundtrack especially how they chose like a lot of my favorite like classic rock songs to put against the mother's harder drug binges Mm -hmm. like when she got so into her pills that she had to give her son away (laughs) in order to function (laughs) <laughs> they were playing Benny and the Jets and then right before she was hospitalized they had that whole scene where she was dancing around in her room to imaginary snow <laughs> with blinded by the light playing in the background <laughs> yeah the soundtrack to this was really moving <laughs> I think it was really well thought out too yeah. um, one thing I noticed when I was re-watching the movie because I've watched it a couple times now in preparation for this episode, is that they used a couple of pieces from um, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Wait, um, what? The Vince Guaraldi um, Charlie Brown Christmas special. They used a couple of pieces. And it was every time they did it, it was when um, Augustine was talking to Natalie. So when they introduced Natalie for the first time, when she's pulling a cigarette out of the Christmas tree ornament, 
they're playing Otanenbaum. And then when Augustine tells Natalie that he's gay and that he wants to become a hairdresser, they're playing um, Little Drummer Boy. Oh, wow. I didn't even and then that. he has sex with Bookman, and they never play anything from the Charlie Brown soundtrack ever again. <laughs> Not even Linus and Lucy. Not even Linus and Lucy. <laughs> let's let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> I, I, I want to make a controversial comment about the relationship of a 13-year-old and a 30-something-year-old. Yes. Go no. ahead. No. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you this, Nato, but that statement might not be as controversial. I got, as got, I got hot takes about this one. I don't think a thirteen-year-old should be romantically involved with a thirty-year-old. Especially, especially a thirty-year-old who is so emotionally dependent on people. I, I feel like you know, there's a. There's a lot of room for very bad things to happen with that kind of an age dynamic. Bad things kind of might be problematic. I don't know. Bad things kind of did happen, didn't they? I mean, yeah. Bookman had the whole tried to kill his father moment at the very end of the movie. Also, like, it, it doesn't, like, you kind of, there's this weird thing where, like, you kind of just forget about the age difference for just a little bit because of, like, the look of the actors. Like, yeah. Like, next week, I hate to, like, flash forward to next week. Next week, we're going to watch a movie with, uh, a, like, a actor who's around the age of 13 playing a 13-year-old. And the contrast between the actor who played Augustine who looks like it's like a Power Rangers casting where it's like a 20-year-old pretending to be a teenager. Yeah. It's right. just like really weird that like he's that he'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm 13." Yeah. It yeah, weird... you kind of don't you kind of don't think about it until Augustine's doing everybody's hair in the kitchen and then they're like, "Augustine, you're 13." Yeah, yeah Augustine, you're 13, aren't you? And then you have this moment where you're like, "Wait a minute." As long Augustine's as... Augustine's what now? <laughs> literally, literally in my notes, because like there's like this weird cognitive dissonance that happens watching this, that happens watching this movie, right? Like, because I I see Augustine and this guy get in a relationship, right? And it literally starts off with uh, Bookman being like, "You're 13, right? Like you're old enough, right, to not be like literally considered a child, which is already problematic." But then Augustine looks so old that you kind of forget about that until it comes up again. So in my notes, I literally have like, what the fuck? Augustine is 13. And then like a few lines down, like a few notes down, it's like, holy shit, Bookman is 35. What the actual fuck? Like, this is not okay. Because it it just doesn't register in your brain. Because like Augustine, the actor that plays Augustine is clearly not you know that young so clearly you not even, 13 you don't really they hired an, they hired an actual adult to play a 13 yeah oh like. <laughs> well, yeah he could be 20 he could be 13 he could be 15 who the fuck knows i don't know like right <laughs> he turns 15 in the film what's up he turns 15 in the film he does well because it goes from like when he's 13 all the way to when he's like basically 18 yeah. in the lease, right uh, 
So it's supposed to be he leaves when he's seventeen in the book. Oh, okay. I think. Okay. Um. So, so yeah. it seems like a short amount of time in the film, but it actually like spans quite a lot of time. You know how I hate to be negative. Um. Oh, oh yes. Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> I think the fact that the fact that you made us live through Jeff London week <laughs> proves that. <laughs> what I don't you... know what you're talking about. That was the best movie we've ever seen. Okay. Jeff London <laughs> is the Jeff London of cinema, sir. Say <laughs> <laughs> less. Um. One of the things that really bothers me about this film, like, is that uh, I kind of noticed I have watched this film way more times than I ever anticipated I would. And it's mainly because I keep going back to it because I keep forgetting about it. Um, And one of the things I really noticed was that Augustine doesn't really work for anything that he gets. Yeah. So, like, uh, these are all going to be bad examples taken out of context. But, like, Augustine doesn't want to go to school. So, Dr. Finch suggests that he, or alludes to that if he attempted suicide, then he could be placed under his care full-time and never have to go to school. He never has I think to... alluded to is alluded to is kind of putting it weakly. Yeah, he like, he, like... <laughs> he said he said if you don't want to go to school, I suppose the only other option right. is suicide. As opposed to just like being like, hey, uh, maybe we'll pull you out of school if you're getting bullied and homeschool you, or. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only other... the literal only other option is to force feed you a bunch of pills stage a suicide emotionally damage your mother and then hospitalize you for three months that should keep you out of school he's like augustine's like i'm gay and i want a relationship so they provide that thing um they provided him with a 35 year old they provided him with a pedophile (laughs) yay um he, he wants he wants a parent that has a more uh maternal role that gives him some sort of like care that as opposed to his mother who has kind of moved on with her life he gets agnes who makes him hamburger helper he decides that he wants to up and leave and try to make it on his own the universe and then through agnes, agnes has again, like a tin of money yeah. a mysterious tin of money that somehow agnes had kept away from the doctor in his endless quest to avoid the irs and he's already established a second family so he d- so even while losing his mother he doesn't actually yeah. lose like any kind of like connections uh to this day he's not really that close with his mother who released her own uh book of memoirs um not to compete with him but just as her own sort of um experience uh (laughs) this is my side of the story except it's not really her side of the story because it apparently like barely touches on like him or like his stories i mean his mom is so self-involved and i love her literally cannot see outside of herself yeah she's like some kind of 
not-for-profit liberal arts student. Uh. I I do want to say one thing I did like about this movie in that respect is that they didn't, like, try to, like, say what mental illness she had. Um, It was just kind of, like, it just happened to, you know, like, it, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, a lot of the times, a lot of, like, cinema and, like, just people in general can kind of go into, like, armchair diagnosing, which I'm not a huge right. fan of. Yeah. So I, I like that. That is one thing about the movie that I did really like is that they didn't try to do that. They just, like, and this is just how she was. And, like, you know. <sighs> and notice that we're not really going through any pains either to try and... Sp- put specific labels on characters either um we really just have a bunch of people who have a bunch of problems and end up taking a bunch of pills exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh oh look at that look at the time um Well, howdy there, buckaroos and buccanets. Who's ready for a fun discussion surrounding ethics? Y'all, y'all better lube up because we're going to be taking a big one today. We're going to talk about the lawsuit filed by the real Finch family against Augustus Burroughs about the original book's alleged unfair depiction of them, which led to a super fun settlement. Hooray! <laughs> this also means I get to use super fun legal additions like allegedly and in my opinion to statements to try and cover our asses from litigation. so if you if if you really please don't litigate us we don't have any lawyers or money i'm losing my job this is all i have in life (laughs) so so if you read up on the lawsuit from the family written about this book and movie and the information we have because of it it is absolutely downright in my opinion for legal reasons horrific um he, he so he referring to Augustus Burroughs uh, apparently actually stayed in pretty good contact with the family up until the release of the book according to interviews uh, but he did not tell the family he was using their conversations up to that point as material for the book uh, most people who write m- quote unquote memoirs will agree that even if you go the route of changing the identities of the people you're writing about you should distort it so you can so it can't actually be tied back to them so of course augustine said in one interview all you have to do is search midwestern massachusetts doctors in the 70s in northampton how many psychiatrists were there and you can access a lot of stories lots and lots of stories which goes against their his claim that he never outed them in interviews um that's also unethical In a long and detailed profile on Vanity Fair that seems to debunk a lot of the more scandalous parts of the book and the movie, the family claims and backs up that a lot of the story just flat out did not happen by all accounts, allegedly. Burroughs' mother giving guardianship to Finch didn't happen for the reasons stated as mentioned in both uh, by both the family and later admitted to by Burroughs. Pooh Child uh, didn't happen the way it was portrayed, and because of how it was portrayed, it made the person who was based on that, who was a child at the time, resign from their job out of fear it would be traced back to them. The electroshock therapy scene, uh, it was actually 
allegedly, a vacuum cleaner. Um, and there are many, many other situations that the family uh, disputes. Not only does it look like a majority of this movie based on fact didn't happen, but allegedly slandered and ruined a family's life, so much so that they publicly outed themselves in order to get a better disclaimer because of the alleged false content in the book and further solidified in the movie, allegedly. Again, these are real people who have gone out of their way to dispute the facts of this movie and had to sue just to get a better disclaimer so that they wouldn't be harassed or vilified like they were being. Allegedly. I have a quick yes. question. Mm-hmm. What is ethics? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> she, sound, she sounds kind of like a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's something to be said for like different differing perspectives of like events, but then you know I, I think I think I think that can be taken too far, you know, to where like you're just making shit up and you shouldn't right. cross that line, you know. And <sighs> it is a movie, so a, a certain amount of over dramatization is yeah. to be expected, especially when you're trying to sell a story like this to major production companies right um but then just don't claim that it's based on a real story right which is why the new disclaimer calls it a book instead of a memoir for the book not for the movie uh oh fun fact all right i think uh we should maybe circle back around and discuss some queer themes maybe in this film um and what we as a community can get out of that Right. Um, especially, um, like, there's a big emphasis on found family in this movie. Not kind of in the way that there usually is in queer cinema, but it's definitely an aspect that's there. And also, I think trauma bonding is also a very queer experience in that, in that same vein, because, you know, you, um... I don't know if y'all are aware, but it ain't easy being queer, especially like way back in the day of 2006. Yeah. <laughs> as as one um <laughs> as one famous film put it, uh life just isn't easy for two homo boys, is it? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> life isn't easy for two homo <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> One final thing I I want to point out is just uh, uh, white people saying the N word. Yes, yeah. I alluded back to this a couple of episodes ago. I think it was Jeff London week that that wasn't yeah. the last discussion that we were going to have about white people saying the N word. Yep, here we go. I mean, the context in this movie is kind of different, but that it doesn't excuse anything and i would honestly say in this movie it's kind of worse it's like so out of nowhere and out of place like what even like and then came summer it was just like like a guy being like all out just full-on racist and nobody really caring but in this movie it's used in this kind of virtue signally like i'm good Co- oppression co-opting kind of way and it just makes me feel kind of gross 
They also yeah. use the R word, and I'm just not a. F- I'm no. Yeah, not I a still fan think of that, that either. Been done with you know some kind more of more sensitivity, difference. more sensitivity, and some kind of a different story. Like I would have been okay if Ryan Murphy had turned that into like, oh, I had uh you know gay nanny, and they called him the F word. That I would have been more okay with because it's you know in the same way it's, that I would be okay with a black writer having written that. You know what I mean? Right. It's more reflective of her own experience. Also. We, we had a gay nanny. We called him Fanny. Because he's a <laughs> nanny. Alrighty. Alright, comrades. On that note, I think it's about time we summed all this up with our recommendations. What did you think, Nito? Was this movie smooth sailing, or would you flush it right down the toilet? Um, it's gonna be a flush for me, fam. Uh, just alone with the information we have about the drama behind the book, uh, it, it's really hard for me to enjoy this movie anymore. So, like, I personally wouldn't watch Can't it again. Say I blame you. All right, row. Did this movie awaken your taste buds or did it leave the foul taste of mystery meat chili in your mouth? Um, I'm going to go the opposite direction because I'm trying to steer away from that mystery meat chili, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, I think if you want to see what all the hype is about, by all means, go ahead, watch the movie it's not a terrible movie. Um, there are some actually really good moments in this movie. If you can look past all the ethical concerns that we have laid before you. Uh, in particular, I just I want to highlight the scene where Bookman comes into um, his dad's office, Dr. Finch's office, and he starts throwing shit off the walls and off the shelves. And he said... You haven't made me any better. Like, you keep me away from the family. You promised me you would make me better. You haven't made me better. Um, And then Augustine and Natalie punch a hole in the kitchen ceiling. Um, I'm a big advocate for um, catharsis through destruction. (laughs) So um, that kind of rubbed me the right way. Um, all I'm saying is, if you feel so inclined, give it a watch. It's not bad. <laughs> also, the ceiling hole punching scene never happened, allegedly. But it made for great TV. <laughs> it was great with that soundtrack, you know? Uh, uh, well, that's what we think. But if you've seen this movie or end up watching it later, tell us what you think. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Eka Podcast. That's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're there, why not suggest a movie for us to watch in the future? We're always looking for new suggestions, and we can't wait to experience more movies with you. I'm Amelia, and I hope you're smashing all the ceilings that oppress you. Yeah. I'm Amelia, and I hope you're smashing... (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. You got this. I'm I'm Amelia, and I hope you're smashing all the ceilings that oppress you this week. Bye! It's Freud the cat! The mystery meat is Freud the cat. Don't touch the mystery meat. It's gross. (laughs)